Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The FT. Billions of pounds of insurance refunds. Why you could claim back your payment protection premiums. 24% annual returns. Why farmland is now a fast-growing investment. And cautious funds that offer high yields. Why, hang on a minute, this is beginning to sound a little bit too good to be true. The truth of all of this will, of course, be revealed in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Elaine Moore. Hello. Tanya Poli. Hi. And Alice Ross. Hello. And our special studio guest, Mark McAndrew, Head of Stratton Parker's Farm and Estates Department. Hello. Let's start then with the money news. On Wednesday, millions of consumers learned that they are set to share in the biggest UK compensation payout in almost a decade after the banks lost a high court challenge over the sale of controversial loan insurance. In the latest twist in a long-running dispute over payment protection insurance, or PPI, the court dismissed an appeal from the banks against being forced to refund past policies worth billions of pounds. The Financial Services Authority had said that banks must apply new rules for the sale of PPI to sales of past policies, which would open the door to millions of mis-selling claims. Now that this move has been upheld by the court, the banks face having to pay £4.5 billion. So, Elaine, does this finally mark the end of the PPI mis-selling scandal? Unfortunately not. Anybody who can remember what happened with the overdraft bank charges will know that a high court ruling doesn't mean the end. What happened with bank charges is that that went on to a Supreme Court, which then overturned the high court ruling. So what we're going to have to wait for now is whether the banks gather themselves together and decide to appeal this high court ruling. They've got 21 days to do that. But presumably this high court ruling is one step forward, might be followed by a step back, but it's one step forward for all of those people who were sold these policies when they didn't really need them. Absolutely. This is a massive case. So we think there are about 16 million of these PPI policies that were sold. Um, And so far, one and a half million consumers have complained about them. And there could be millions more. So at the moment, it's looking quite positive for them. Off the record, a few people that we spoke to yesterday from banks seem to indicate that they might not have the appetite to continue this fight. It's been dragging on for a while it would continue to go on. It might be another year to be resolved. So could be good. But some might, yeah, some banks might just give up and pay up then. 
could be. At the moment, Santander is still paying out. They're not involved in this ruling. They're not a huge um, party in this case in the first place, but they're still looking at claims. The other banks, rather naughtily, are not looking into fresh claims, although there's no actual official freeze on examination of claims. They've decided that until they work out whether to appeal or not, they're not going to examine new cases. So which which banks are we talking about and what sort of you know, products um, were people taking out when they were sold these policies? Well, PPI is quite a techie term in the first place, isn't it? But what it means is payment protection insurance. And this is insurance that would be sold to you alongside something like a credit card or a mortgage or other unsecured loan. The idea is that the insurance would cover you if you were unable to pay back the loan because you're ill or because you're unable to work. What happened was that some of these were sold to people who would never have been able to claim. They were either unemployed or they were students. So they were sold something they couldn't even use. And if, and it's a big if, I suppose, at this stage, um, there is no challenge to this. The banks do have to pay out on past policies sold. Uh, What do people stand to get back at the moment, the average rebate is about two and a half grand, but it goes up to about 44,000 somebody was paid back for PPI that was taken out on a mortgage and a credit card and another loan, and it was all wrapped up together. So it, it could be enormous. The uh, FSA think that the total bill could be 4.5 billion. The banks say it could be even more. Analysts have said somewhere between five and eight billion. So this is a lot of money that we're talking about. Certainly is. You mentioned that there have already been millions of complaints made about PPI sales. Uh, Is there anything that people need to do at the moment? Should people who haven't made a complaint make a complaint or just wait until we know exactly what the position is? You actually can still make a complaint to banks because, as I said, there's no official freeze on this. So you would need to just gather up all the information that you've got when you bought the insurance, how much you bought it for, any phone conversations that you had, whether you thought that the insurance was properly explained to you. This is a crucial piece of information that you'll need to send in. You can then contact the banks. Then you have eight weeks to wait to see if they respond to you. If they don't or if you're unhappy with their response, you take it on to the ombudsman. They say they're getting about 5,000 complaints on PPI every week so people aren't stopping their complaints at the moment. Yeah, I suppose this week's news is only going to increase that. They expect so. They think there could be millions more. What's really interesting, I think, about this case is that what the FSA wants, though, is for banks to actually get in contact with people who haven't even made a complaint. So they want them to proactively come to you and say, we think you might have been missold a PPI policy. So you might not even have to do anything uh, and get a nice refund. Well, Elaine, thanks very much for that. And for more details of what the court ruling means for payment protection of policyholders, you can read uh, Elaine's series of articles on our website at ft.com forward slash money and another one in the money section of this weekend's FT. Still to come on the show, yet another cautionary tale about cautious funds. But first, an alternative form of property investment. If I asked you which asset class had doubled in price in the past four years, and you'd not heard the introduction to this week's show, I reckon your first answer would be gold, and you'd be right. But what else would you suggest? No, not copper, not platinum either. In fact, it's something else that involves digging up the ground. It's English agricultural land. 
Even after appreciating by 100% since 2007, prices are continuing to rise. According to Savills, farmland values in England rose by 2.7% in the first quarter of this year, the largest first quarter increase in arable land prices since 2008. And they're being driven not just by a shortage of supply, but also by strong demand from farmers and from private investors. So, Tanya, how are these gentlemen farmers getting their hands dirty? Well, we're actually seeing quite a big increase in、um, the number of private investors. I guess typically those successful city workers that have decided they want to, you know, spend some time in the country and, you know, get on the tractor and maybe do a bit of clay pigeon shooting as well,、um, looking to buy. I mean, they typically tend to buy farms in the more sort of fashionable counties of, say, like Oxfordshire, Berkshire,、um, Hampshire, Wiltshire,、um, etc. Um, but we, we also see an interest from farmers and from even、um, European farmers looking to expand their interests actually in the UK.、Um, so, Mark, I mean, you're obviously very close to this kind of market. What's actually been driving this kind of interest in, in farmland? Um, very simply,、um, a, a, a lack of food around the world.、Um, in the last 12 months alone, there have been a lot of sort of climate change、um, disasters.、So、Russia closed its borders to the export of wheat. There were floods in Australia, which、um, did、uh, considerable damage to their wheat harvest. And the price of food's been going up. There's a shortage of food now.、Um, the world is consuming more wheat than it produced in 2010. And that, not surprisingly, has been driving land values up quite quickly. And do we think that, that, that this will actually continue? Because obviously we've already seen such a huge decrease over the last you know, five years alone. Climate change is obviously incredibly difficult to predict, and I'm not going to sit here and give you a weather forecast, but、um, uh, the, the, the other aspect of it is world population growth, and the world is growing at a very fast rate,、um, and we have to produce more food to feed those mouths, and we're not doing that at the moment. And there is more land in the world that can come into production. There are changes to farming systems that can happen, such as. Embracing genetically modified crops. But even still, we're probably, or、uh, the predictions are, we're not going to be able to feed the world with the land we've got by 2050. That's a fairly frightening thought.、Mm. Um, I mean, even today, one billion people go to bed hungry, and that's a fairly alarming thought.、Um, uh, so, yes, land is in the public eye. Food is definitely in the public eye. Food in the supermarket is、uh, headline news in the press weekly.、Um, and not surprisingly, land in the UK has. I suppose, benefited from that. And I mean, what, what are you forecasting for the next, for this year alone? I mean, are we going to see quite a huge rise? Yes,、um, undoubtedly. I mean, this train has started moving and it's not going to stop now.、Um, so I see land prices cautiously increasing by 10% in 2011 and optimistically by 20%. So that's fairly strong growth. And is it easy for actually、um, private investors to access this market? I mean, obviously, part of this drive in,、um, in prices is because there's a lack of supply of land. Yes.、Um, is it easy to access? Yes and no. There's two parts to that question.、Um, there's very little land available, so that's the difficulty in accessing it.、Um, when it comes along, you have to move quickly and be brave.、Um, the ease of accessing it is that actually in the UK, our property market is fairly transparent. And, um, uh, and uh, open to all. In other countries in the world, it's quite difficult to buy land. There are strict regulations about who can and who can't purchase it. In the UK, it's open to all. It's very democratic. It's very transparent. And therefore, it's attractive to not just UK purchasers, farmers, or businessmen, but also to overseas investors. Are there any areas、um, in, in the UK that you think could be hotspots that could see bigger growth than, than others? Uh, yes, what we've seen rather like with a, with a residential property market is there's a bit of a north south divide developing. So, some, there's been some extraordinary land prices achieved for 
farms in the south of England from sort of eight to ten thousand pounds an acre fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the further north you get, sort of Lincolnshire and north up to sort of Northumberland and the borders, sticking with England for the moment, um, land prices drop to sort of five, six thousand pounds an acre for arable land. Um, why? Um, no particularly good reason. Yes, weather has an influence on on productivity of the land, but I think the north looks potentially cheap compared to the south at the moment. Okay, and maybe I mean, what are the actual risks that maybe investors should consider? Um, risks, um, very few, really. I perceive at the moment. I mean, weather obviously influences harvest. But the UK has a relatively benign climate. You may not think that, having sat here through March and April and hardly seen a drop of rain. But um, it has a fairly benign climate. Um, The risks are, I suppose, if you're looking at land as an investment, it's it's slow to trade. Unlike a stock or a share, which you can buy or sell in a day, Mm. land takes months to purchase and months to sell. I mean, not many, because the market's moving quite quickly, but it's a slower-moving market than, than the city. Indeed. In fact, it was just one one last thing. One of the risks, as I would perceive, is um, uh, actually having to get up at four o'clock in the morning and go and milk cows or whatever. Are, are there collective investment schemes? Are there, are there sort of funds that you can go into that buy land? Um, there are very few funds, actually. But, uh, institutions have tended to avoid land, um, mainly because although it shows good capital growth, it actually shows relatively small annual yield. Um, the return on farming, because although wheat prices are rocketed up, you've still got increased fuel costs, uh, increased fertiliser costs. Yields on farming are about sort of 3 or 4%. So to the fund manager, that's not overly attractive. So there are a few funds, but... Um, no, um, it, uh, it, it, um, collectively, you really have to do it or not, or not as the case may be. Right. Yeah. have to get your hands dirty. Thanks very much uh, for that. And for a map of the UK's farmland investment hotspots and Tanya's analysis of the investment opportunities, look out for her article in the money section of this weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, cautious funds. Over the past nine months, FT Money has reported growing concerns among investors, regulators and industry bodies over the use of the word cautious in fund names. What many investors fail to realise is that funds in the cautious managed sector can hold up to 60% in equities. Last August, the Investment Management Association began a still-unfinished review of its cautious managed fund sector. In January, Barclays Bank was fined a record £7.7 million for failing to advise clients of the risks of a so-called cautious product. And this month, the Association of British Insurers scrapped the name cautious, replacing it with a new label of mixed investment, followed by a statement of how much certain funds hold in equities. But now it emerges that it's not just the equity content of so-called cautious funds that is causing concern. Alice, what's the latest worry with these funds? The latest worry is how much these funds hold in bonds um, because of the inflation risk that... um, you know, that is posed to bonds if interest rates go up, in which case the prices of bonds would be expected to fall. And of course, the income paid by bonds would stay the same and wouldn't go up with inflation. So they wouldn't be as attractive. And what we found is that some cautious funds um, have, you know, maybe half of their portfolio, if not more than half in corporate bonds. Half? Yeah. You'd think that these would be diverse, they're cautious, they have to be diversified across lots of asset classes. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they hold some diversification. They Some of that will also be um, bonds, gilts, then they have some equities, some property. But I think 
there is this perception among some uh, fund managers that bonds are still safe. In fact, that's what one man- fund manager said to me this week. He he described bonds as low risk. He said, well, these low risk investments. And I said, well, hang on, low risk on what measure? And the problem is, I think, is that um, bonds have been historically low risk over the past 10 or 20 years because, um, you know, they just haven't been that volatile. But if we do enter a period where inflation is really high, then bonds could become a lot more volatile. And the concern is that fund managers are basing, you know, their asset allocation in these kind of um, multi-asset funds on historic performance and not future expectations. And these are corporate bonds. I'm guessing that these uh, so-called cautious funds are holding. Um, It's not as if they're holding index-linked gilts or something that might be considered a little bit protected against uh, the difficult environment. Well, some of them will hold index-linked gilts as well, in in fairness, but uh, the corporate bond... Um, section will be so much bigger than the index link guild section that you know you couldn't really expect that to hedge against it very much and in fact um, one advisor I was speaking to was saying that if you have uh, you know any of your portfolio in corporate bonds at this point you should probably make sure that at least half of it is inflation hedging so at least half of those corporate bonds are in some way linked to inflation for example um, if you can buy uh, corporate bonds from equity from sorry from utility companies um, they you know, they can usually uh, do well in times of inflation and some of them have actually been issuing inflation-linked bonds. And there are, of course, specialist funds that that only go into inflation-linked bonds. But for those who are presented with what is described as a cautious fund, um, how are they going to know how much is held in, well, not just equities, but corporate bonds? Well, it's the same old story of, you know, funds not really providing enough information about what they actually invest in. I mean, obviously, you can look at the fact sheet and there you can see the basic allocation to different um, classes like equities and bonds. You can always ask for the top 10 holdings so you can see what kind of funds um, within that the fund is investing in um, or what kind of equities or bonds. And that should give you some indication because sometimes it looks quite high and then you look and you see that they are actually investing in inflation linked corporate bonds. So you think, well, that's okay. But it's definitely, as always, worth, you know, looking beyond the small print into the small print even. And do you hold out any hope that something will be done about the use of this word? Cautious. I think I think things are moving in the right direction on the whole cautious thing because you had the Association of British Insurers, which is huge, obviously, all of the insurance companies, basically saying they didn't like cautious anymore. Um, the IMA is being a bit slower to make its changes, but we can expect them to announce something by the end of the year. And I think when I speak to people these days, there's just this growing acceptance that you just can't really put cautious in the title of a fund and expect investors to really understand all of the risks involved. So I think hopefully ask me the same question in a year and it might be quite different. Yes, we might finally get funds that do what it says on the tin. Alice, thanks very much for that. And uh, for more on the cautious funds that are heavily exposed to corporate bonds, look out for Alice's article in the money section of this weekend's FT. That's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you'll find all of these stories, plus daily news updates, top tips and our latest pensions Q&A on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And if you have a question that you'd like us to answer about any aspect of your finances, just email us. The address is money at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Elaine, Alice, Tanya and Mark McAndrew from Stratton Parker. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.